Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to the What's Next podcast, where I have the pleasure of welcoming Alan Hunkins to the show today, all the way from the Netherlands. He is the author of Cracking the Leadership Code, which just published a few weeks ago. He's a consultant, trainer, and coach. Over his 20-year road warrior career, he has led over 2,000 groups in 25 countries through designed and facilitated seminars on numerous leadership topics, including team building, conflict management, communication, peak performance, innovation, engagement, and change. He also serves on the faculty of the Duke Corporate Education. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Tiffany. It's so great to be with you today. Yes, and I feel like we're so close. But we're so far today with all kinds of things going on, but we'll get into that in a second. Uh, what I'd love to do is start with uh, what I call bullish and bearish, nothing too serious. Bullish is you're for it, bearish is you're against it. I'm going to ask you three questions. And uh, I try to keep people to the single word answer, but that doesn't always work. So if you feel compelled, we'll go back and talk about it in a little bit. All right. So Sounds are you great. ready? I am ready. All right. The first one is a softball. It is. Leadership is about connection. Bullish, 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 bullish. Yeah, that's <laughs> that was a softball. Yeah, it's all that was yeah. a softball. And so we'll get into that in a little bit. All right. Yeah. The next one is a little more fun. Uh, machines will make their way into the leadership team. I'm bullish. Oh, not what I expected. God, I feel like I've been off on my game lately. Usually I get people yeah. like it. Okay. All right. We'll yeah. talk about that one. All right. And the third one's a little more fun. An AI will become a Shakespearean playwright. That I'm bearish on. I, right. Yeah, I'm bearish on, on Shakespeare, AI. No. <laughs> All right. So, you know, there, there's a story behind that if you want to sort of give why I asked that question. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I actually trained. I went to drama school. Uh, I trained in classical theater and spent three years in that before I got into the world of educational and leadership consulting. So, yeah, I don't think that machines are going to replace Shakespeare. It's just I'm I'm too close, too, too connected to the bard. <laughs> so. All right. Yeah. All right. We'll go with that. So uh, how exciting that you've got uh, this new book out, Cracking the Leadership Code. And, you know, I think there is some thinking that you have around this kind of new operating model for uh, leadership um, that will help teams sort of thrive in this fourth industrial revolution, 21st century, sort of whatever we call it. And maybe you can give our listeners just a little bit around the journey of what led you to say, you know what, I, I think it's time for me to write this book. Um, you know, what, what, were this, what was the sort of aha that got you to that point? Yeah, the aha that got me here was the fact that, and I keep looking at the data, it doesn't change a whole lot, but on average, about 20 to 23% of people believe that leaders lead well on any given year. That's a really low number. and It's been consistently low. And I have yet to meet a single leader who wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, today I'm going to be mediocre. Like no one sets out to be that way. And so I've always been curious as to why do people choose to do what they do? And so I've been working with groups, thousands of groups over the last 20 years. And what I noticed that there were patterns, patterns of what great leaders did well, as well as patterns of what mediocre leaders did poorly. And I started hearing stories and getting into the nitty gritty of their day-to-day -day work. And I started taking notes on their stories and the notes turned into blog posts and the blog posts ended up turning into chapters and the chapters became parts of what is now this book. 
because I realized that as much as there are principles to leadership, there's also a series of what I'll call shadow principles, those things that get in our way, even though we mean to do well. So that's what really led to the making of this book. And the hope is to use it to help people to shorten their learning curve and accelerate their growth because you know leadership is so much easier in theory than it is in practice. Oh, I couldn't agree more. But you know, one of the things that I find interesting in that statistic of 20 to 23% believe um, that leaders lead well is, uh, you know, I've had uh, someone else on my, on my show as well that talks about sort of what you think about yourself as in that. And so that is what people think of their leaders. What, what was, I don't know if you know this answer, but what did leaders think oh. about themselves leading well? Was that percentage like, oh, 90% think they lead well, yet 20% of their people think? Oh, it's totally up to the 90%. Yeah, that's the whole psychological principle of illusory superiority. It's the reason that 90% of people say that they're above average drivers. You know, it's the whole gap between our intentions and how we actually show up in reality to others. And ultimately, leadership we're in the perceptions business. It's not about what we intend. It's how do we come across and understanding that as leaders, we're our own instrument and we have to understand everything that we do and say sends a message as well as everything that we don't do and say sends a message. So it's getting conscious around all those things, which is a lot of work. It's, it's really the, the work of self-awareness and self-development to become a better leader. And it's absolutely, it's, absolutely. And the work no. Tasha Yurlik has done has been fantastic in that whole conversation who, who I mentioned that I had on the show. I think it's, I think it, you know, this whole conversation around self-development uh, is one that, you know, I felt like, and maybe people are doing it earlier now, but like kind of in my twenties, I didn't know what I wanted to do. In my thirties, I was like, oh, I just want to make more money. In my forties, I was like, oh, really? Is this what this is all about? Like, am I just going to continue on this hamster wheel for a period of time? And I had moved up and become a leader and then sort of hit my fifties and said, you know, maybe it's time for me to give back. Um, but I'd say from my middle forties ish, um, even though I thought I was self-developing earlier in my career as a leader, I really, I think I really started to work on the personal side of development versus just the leadership side, meaning like how to organize teams and you know, how to run a meeting and like that kind of, you know, how to do a PNL, like that kind of stuff, learning. Um, and so I wonder if now leaders are starting to become well, let me say that differently, actioning that self-awareness earlier in their career than others who maybe are more seasoned of a leader and then start to do it. Do you feel like that is changing? I feel it is changing because if you look, you know, 59% of our workforce today are Gen Y and Gen Z. And they, and I see this, and you probably have seen this too, Tiffany, is that they have signed up for a different different value proposition from the workplace. And so this need to continue to learn and grow and develop is so much more a part of our workplace vocabulary than it was even 10 years ago. The whole sense that we need to have this sense of purpose and meaning, not just professionally, but personally. And this, you know, the, the blend between work and life, we know we used to talk about work and life balance. When I talk to people in Gen Y and Gen Z, and I'm just self-disclosure, I'm 51, so I'm Gen X. So that being said, when I have these conversations, they're talking about there's no work-life balance. It's all one thing. And this desire to grow and to be part of something that's meaningful the conversation is definitely shifting. So I think that more people are wanting to develop themselves on a personal and professional level earlier in the, in that we'll call the professional life cycle. And so if, if you, you know, somebody's listening and they're early in their career and they say, you know, I want to 
be a leader in the future. You know, maybe they have a five or 10 year goal, whatever it might be. And I want to become more self-aware. What, what things do you suggest that, you know, if you're working with a, someone who might be uh, designated as a, you know, high potential leader in the future by a company and, and they they're on this sort of leadership path, if you will, what, what as a person, a self-starter first, I'd say you'd have to be a self-starter, but you know, First, what would you say to somebody who who is now saying, I, I actually want to become more aware on those blind spots that I may not know myself on how do I become better? Sure, sure. So the first thing is I'd say if you're on that path to wanting to be a leader, recognize you already are a leader. Is that I think the idea of leader as a title, job title or position, if you can let go of that and think of leadership as a state of being and a state of mind. It's really how do you show up to mobilize others to achieve some kind of end shared purpose and that all of us are trying to influence people all the time. So how can you start to exert your leadership skills, whether or not you do have the title now or not? It's not really that relevant. So just start practicing and thinking of yourself in that way. It's amazing how much that belief identity shift can make difference. Then in terms of how do you grow, a couple of things that I think are huge are, first of all, seek out people who are going to give you honest, constructive feedback about you, how you really show up. I think from my perspective, and this is probably yours as well, Tiffany, I'd be curious to hear what has helped me accelerate my own learning curve is when people told me the unvarnished, unfiltered, no BS truth about myself, even when it was painful. And for me to be able to hear that, to breathe maybe once or twice or 20 times and say, thank you and say, thank you and take that on. And then take the feedback and start to apply it. I know early in my career, I was very focused, like hyper-focused, always please the client, please the client. And if I'd be working in teams, I would steamroll over my colleagues. And it wasn't until one of my colleagues said, uh, you know, Janice on the team, uh, she breaks down in tears working with you. And that's the last thing I would have ever wanted. And so hear hearing that was a wake-up call. So there's ways to accelerate the wake-up calls. And one of the best ways is to ask for feedback and then act on it. So most people don't because it takes courage to do that. But I think a big part of leadership is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and asking for feedback as a way to stretch yourself outside your comfort zone. Absolutely. Uh, couldn't agree more. I mean, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. But uh, I think that, um, you know, I started actually uh, asking people, so why did you invite me to this meeting? You know, not in a, like, God, what a waste of time sort of tone, right? But in a, why did you invite me to this meeting? And to get feet well, because you always come with this very different opinion. And so, uh, you know, you, you, as you start to ask questions, don't only, you know, set yourself up to just hear like, well, you know, what could I work on? Like you want to balance this positive and negative, but, uh, you know, asking people, well, why'd you include me on that email or include me on the team or ask me to join this meeting? And you obviously saw, obviously saw some value and, and do it in a way where it is really this construction, constructive sort of learning. I think then it also makes people feel more comfortable with mixing that really positive with a little bit of what you just said, right? Like, yeah. oh, you, you, you're kind of a little hard over here on this particular person, or you're short, or you don't let other people speak, or whatever it might be, that accidental diminisher, if you will, from a multiplier effect. You know, ultimately, um, asking for the positive is also a good way to, to get that feedback. Would you well, agree? That, oh, completely. And I, I love what you said about when you say, you know, so why did you invite me to the meeting? Because when you, that question is a synthesis question, right? It's forcing people to step back and rise up to a bigger picture and a kind of a meta view to see things and share that with you. And 
being able to get people to think the big picture, whether it's what's the purpose of our meeting or why am I here and, and to rise up because I think our, our corporate world is filled with so many really good analytical problem solvers. And what we need more are people who can synthesize and integrate. And so they can make connections between things so that we can be more collaborative and integrated as we move forward. So that's a great point. So that's, that's a lot on the brain science. Uh, you know, another thing that you're very focused on um, is sort of these real life stories, right? In, in sort of becoming more human as a leader and not getting so disconnected that you're sitting in the corner office in the ivory tower and no one has a connection to you that really finding ways to be more connected and storytelling is a great way to do that. So maybe you can share how people can share stories where they uh, show a little bit of vulnerability and compassion and empathy without maybe sharing too much that's personal, right? Because I think there's a fine balance between that as you as you become a leader. Yeah, storytelling is probably the most powerful communication medium that we have. And I want to actually, I'll, to, to demonstrate that, I want to tell you a story I share in my book about a guy named Matt. Uh, Matt is a district manager. Now, he happens to work in the fast food industry, but it really could be anywhere. So he's one of 100 district managers in his company. And when I met Matt, he was the number one top-ranked district manager out of 100. And I asked him, Matt, how did you end up being number one? Were you always such a strong performer? And he laughed. No, when I started about 15 years ago, I was like number 87 on this list. And, <laughs> and, and, and he described, he said, back then, and so he told me the story of how he said, back then, and you asked about vulnerability, and he shared his flaws, as it were. And I think a big part of storytelling is the willingness to show us, us as leaders as not, the, not as perfect. And so Matt described how when he used to go in to the different restaurants. He had he was overseeing about 10 different restaurants as the district manager. He would come in with a list of all the things that were wrong because he would get reports, metrics every day. And he'd come in and he'd show up. And the way he described it, he's like, I, I thought I was the fixer. My job was to come in here and tell people what was wrong and tell them what they have to do. And I'd run around from place to place with my hair on fire. And that's what I would do. And there would be employees in there. I didn't even know their names. They would come in and then they would get fired or quit. And I didn't even say them because all I saw was that they were worker bees. And if they weren't doing the job, well, that was not good. And so he described that and he was really frustrated. And then he shifted and he said, what I learned was people don't want fixers. What people want are leaders, leaders who mm -hmm. treat them like adults. He said, he realized that one day he just stopped and he said to one of the store managers, he said, so how was your weekend? And the store manager said, well, I had a great weekend. It was my daughter's 10th birthday. And so he realized he had a daughter, first of all, and then that his daughter was important. So the next time he came in, he said, how's your daughter? And he started to create personal human relationships with the people he was working with. And then instead of coming in and saying, this is wrong, you have to fix this, he'd come in and show them the metrics and say, this is what's going on. What do you think we should do? And instead of telling and pushing, he would start asking and pulling. And as he started to do that more and more, he realized, I don't need to be the fixer. I need to be a leader. And as he got better and better at that, his performance in all the stores started to improve. And what he told me at the end, which sort of the kicker, he said, it's amazing. So I'm number one now. I worked way harder when I was number 84 than I was when I, when I am at number one. So to me, it's like that power. And he tells that story to a lot of people. In fact, a number of the other district managers used to be his store managers that have been promoted. So to me, it's all stories 
have a good conflict. They have some sensory detail. And then there's this resolution that brings the learning point. And so the Matt story is a great story that shows leaders shouldn't be fixers. They need to be leaders. So understanding the point you're making and then finishing your story. And and I, I think that that's kind of part of, uh, well, I guess that I'd love to hear what you think here is that that's part of this kind of leadership toolkit. You know, this is one of the things, right? It's kind of all these skills and all these things you have to be able to pull from as as a leader. And and I love what you said about, look, you don't have to be a leader in title. You could be in a group of 10 people, but you are someone people look to, even though you don't have the title and you're not the leader of that group. Uh, and so leadership comes in many forms. And so uh, I, I hope you agree with that statement. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you've been in the situation, I think most of us have, is that you've been somewhere and there's some sort of problem and you're thinking, you know what, somebody should do something about this. Well, that someone may very well be you. Instead of waiting for someone else to step up and like, you know, we should do this. Like, who's the we or they need to do? Who's the they? Instead of going, what can I do? How can I step up? You know, another story that I share in the book is this, this woman, and this is very common, right? So she's on a project, the project finishes up and no one steps up to kind of complete and congratulate the team on the project. And, you know, we've all, we're on to the next thing. And so she took it on herself to send out a project-wide email to everyone. Just want to thank everyone, you know, and she was a junior team member, but she was the one who started the whole, Hey, I want to thank everyone for their contributions and started naming names. Just stepped into the leadership. And that started this whole reply all, we call it a love fest, um, that they started thank Yeah, it was great. So she stepped into the void. So we don't need to wait for someone who's got the title that says senior or executive in front of it to start doing that, that we can actually do that for ourselves. And that's leadership right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that the learning that has to go into how do you understand and communicate and influence and persuade and do all those things that you have to do as, as a leader. And I love what you said, that it's it's kind of a state of being, state of mind, like what you uh, want to do. And uh, I think if you, what, what would you, you know, if someone said, look, you know, I've read a lot of books about leadership, you know, what, what really do you think is the takeaway on cracking the leadership code. I mean, I want everybody to go out and read it, obviously. Sure, sure. But but when when you say, look, you know, if this is where you are in your career and you're looking for something to give you that insight to the next step, uh, this this is why I think it would be right for you. Sure. Well, the, the subtitle of the book are the three secrets to building strong leaders. And I'll reveal the three secrets because they're really simple in theory. It's connection, communication, and collaboration. Those are the three secrets. And I would say if someone is looking, if you're looking to say, I want to become a better leader, I would say start with connection is realizing that leadership at its core is a human to human relationship. And so practicing and developing your emotional intelligence may be the most valuable thing you can do. So that is understanding how do you show up and how do you feel about things? How do others feel? Because the power of empathy is so strong. The fact is we all will do a lot more for people that we care about than people that we don't. We all know that there are people when we're around them, they make us feel smart and valued. And there are other people that make us feel stupid and like we're walking on eggshells. So what kind of person do you want to be? And so empathy starts with understanding people and also caring how they feel, which takes time and patience. And even though we all understand it intuitively, we don't necessarily practice it that well because it takes patience. It means letting go of control or letting go of the mindset that I'm right, you're wrong. It lets, it means letting go of power. 
because uh, oftentimes there's a power differential. So I would say start with this idea of thinking of leadership as how can I build stronger relationships? Because the relationship will be the foundation for all the other work and the kind of work product, whether that's increasing sales or increasing quality or decreasing cost, whatever the, the work business product is, is going to stand on the foundation of the relationship you build first. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I think those those three are exactly what I was looking for when I said kind of what are those things that people and looking that are looking to really become leaders and what are the things they can be doing? I think that's a great synopsis. Now, to get into, you know, we're right in the middle of probably one of the, well, at least in my lifetime, right, craziest uh, work life situations with uh, the coronavirus. Um and depending on sort of what happens in the next couple of weeks will will matter to sort of this question I'm going to have. But without getting into the specifics of corona, just thinking about how do you now become an effective leader when teams are more remote, people are feeling higher levels of stress, you know, the daily uh, structure is disrupted both personally and professionally and in, at, in your own home life. You know, this is really where you see sort of leaders rise to the occasion. And once again, going back to, you know, even if you're reaching out to friends and teammates and customers and colleagues, like what does what does leadership look like in crisis? Yeah, great question, because I would say this is sort of leadership in change on steroids, what we're going through right now, like the crisis is right there. So to echo back to the earlier answer, I think it starts again, it starts with connection. I've been reaching out to colleagues, friends, family, clients, and actually hosting meetings for, I think I've done seven days now, every single day, I'm opening these up, we're doing these Zoom calls. And the structure is really simple. First question I'm saying is, how are you feeling right now? Number two is what's distracting you? And three is how can we support you, right? So those are all very, you know, we can call those touchy-feely woo-woo questions. But the fact is when people are in a time of transition or crisis or uncertainty, there's two big questions that are going through everyone's minds. What does this mean? What should I do? And there's something that is incredibly supportive and reassuring about normalizing people's experience. So if you can go to it, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or in a group, hey, how are you feeling? What can I do to support you? What's, what's on your mind? And holding space and just letting people vent, that's the first thing. Because it's really hard to be super productive. I mean, for people to suddenly go from wherever they were two or three or four or five weeks ago to where they are now and to try to pretend that it's business as usual, there's an elephant. There's a giant elephant in the room. So let's not pretend like it's not there. And there's something about normalizing the experience that allows us to move through it in a way that then we can get to work. And you know, another thing that clients we've been bringing up on these calls, you know, we may have had 10 priorities two weeks ago, 10 big things we wanted to tackle. What are our top one or two things that we can focus on today and this week? Because it's really hard to keep with our three and six month planning horizons right now with the levels of uncertainty we have. So what can I focus on this week that's what's one thing that we can accomplish? And then when we get there, can we stop and celebrate the progress that we're making? Because we're all having to, you know, juggle so much right now, whether that's literally juggling an infant on our lap, as one of the folks on an executive team did on a, on a webinar. You know, it's suddenly work and life have completely smushed together as people are homebound and, and stuck with their families. So again, it starts with this connection. And if we can establish that human to human connection, then we can look at 
how we can support each other to get whatever job we want to get done, done. So someone's listening. Mm -hmm. They're working from home. They've been working from home for some time. You know, I've had the I've had a little bit of a head start. I've been working from home for almost 14 years, but I travel a lot. So I'm not home a lot. So working from home like five days a week that if this 30 days goes without me getting on an airplane, it'll be the first time I've done that in almost 14 years where I've been home 30 days straight. Yeah. Um, But not everybody's used to working from home. And so if they're listening to this and they're like, I don't even know what that means. (laughs) What's the, you know, what are the one or two things that you think they could do uh, you know, today after they listen to this podcast, uh, to either reach out and flex that leadership muscle or just be compassionate and empathetic to someone on the team or a customer, you know, what are, what are the one or two things you'd give them as a, as a to do after they listen to this today? Sure. So in terms of there's multiple things you can do from a, if you've never worked from home, first of all, um, looking at creating some kind of a structure for yourself. Um, one of the things that's come up on multiple calls also is in the middle of this is be really mindful of what information you are ingesting on a daily basis. Cause right now it is so easy to get sucked into. You could spend all day reading news websites and social media and just get sucked into this crisis. Cause there's a part of us that is looking for that next piece of information that wants to tell us what's going to happen. And you know what? It's not going to change in the next hour. So maybe it's, I'm going to give myself 20 minutes at night to check the news, to make sure that I'm managing that. And that's it. And then besides that, in terms of things you can do positively, this this again came from a client call this week that I had with a meeting is that, you know, we can choose to use this time as, okay, how am I going to cope and just make it through? How am I going to survive until this is all over? Or I can reframe that and think, how can I use this to the best of its constraints. The fact is, there's a massive amounts of innovation that are going on right now. So many sacred cows have been slaughtered in the last couple of weeks of, oh, we could never do this. We could never work from home. We need to have this in paper, person or in paper. Suddenly, all that's gone away. So how can we use this stop, pause, reflection point to reevaluate our processes, how we work, what we do, and look at how can we do it better and differently because we're going to have to. So that's another piece. And then on the third piece, I would say look to people to reach out. Who doesn't like it when someone says, whether it's an email or a call or a text, you know, your, your communication method of choice, who doesn't like it to say, Hey, Tiffany, I was just, I'm thinking about you. Hope you're staying safe. So just reaching out, whether that's a quick email or make setting up a zoom call is to reach out and to connect to people and thinking about how can you do that? Because that connection, we're all going to need it. And we, we might be in this for quite some time. So those are the areas I would say to, to focus on if you're just getting started at this working from home in the middle of this crisis. Well, that was fantastic, Elaine. I really appreciate it. I think <clears throat> there were so many great nuggets in, in this entire conversation, um, but I want people to continue to be able to learn from you and, and hear more from you. So I know you have a fantastic TED Talk, uh, but what are other ways that, that people can keep in touch with your work and, and sort of a lot of this conversation around cracking the leadership code? Sure, Tiffany. Yeah. So if you want to find out more, probably the best place to go is to www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. That'll take you right to the book webpage. And while you're there, you can find chapter one and download that and read that right away. And from there, that links to my website as well. And you're certainly welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled A-L-A-I-N, Alain, and my last name is H-U-N-K-I-N-S. So those are the best places to reach me. 
Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, uh, all the way from the Netherlands. Uh, but stay safe and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on how people can develop into being our leaders of tomorrow. So thank you for joining me today, Elaine. Thank you, Tiffany. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. What a timely conversation about leadership. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Elaine. I sure did. It was something that I think we all can relate to and lots of actionable takeaways for us to do and start tomorrow morning. So I hope you found my conversation informative and fun and you learned a little bit. Please subscribe, leave some comments, and I look forward to seeing you again next time. Have a great day.